Greetings in Jesus' name. I'm Bishop Chester Wright. This is the video teaching series, The Love of God. This is part four of that video teaching series. And in part four, we are discussing the compelling power of God's love. This is lesson number five. And uh, lesson number five is the first one of three lessons uh, that are very directly connected and they are very critical for us to hear because they actually uh, itemize and explain the three steps of growing in God in ministry and also in our relationship with God so that his ministry through us can be powerfully effective. I first uh, received this message, this rhema from God. Uh, it was probably the spring of 1971. No. No. Yes, it would have been the spring of 71. And since that time, I was in the living room, the apartment we were living in the first year we were in Annapolis. That's how I know the year uh, and the time of year. And um, the, the Lord, I, we had the radio on and a man was preaching and he read these verses that I'm going to be focusing on uh, as the primary verses for the next this lesson and the next two. And the Lord spoke to me and said, those are the three dimensions of a burden or the three steps in the progression of a burden, getting a burden for ministry, a call to ministry, getting to the place that God is trying to get every one of us from. So this is number one. In the, First dimension of a burden, we are involved with the kingdom of God to save ourselves. I'm reading 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to read the last three verses of the last lesson as the preamble to these verses here in this lesson. Verse uh, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 6, Therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor. What? We, we're willing to go be with the Lord, but we understand that that's his timing, not ours. And so while we're here, uh, we have this confidence that we want to go be with him. Wherefore, because of this, on this account, base, this basis, we labor. What? We labor? Yeah. We labor that for this cause, for this purpose. We labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. 
Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God. And I trust uh, also are made manifest in your consciences. I am reading just verses uh, 9 and 10 in the Amplified. Therefore, whether we are at home on earth away from him, or away from home and with him, we are constantly ambitious and striving earnestly to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before and be revealed as we are before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one of us may receive his pay. King James, I mean, the Amplified uses that there. According to what he has done in the body, whether good or evil, Considering what his purpose and motives have been, have been, and what he has achieved, been busy with, and given himself and his attention to accomplishing, every one of us is going to have our whole lives examined: what we did, why we did it, what we didn't do, and why we didn't do it. We says of verses nine and ten: Wherefore we make it our aim, whether at home or living abroad to be well-pleasing to him. For it is necessary in the nature of the case for all of us to be openly shown to uh, shown as to our true character before the judgment seat of Christ in order that each one may receive a recompense with respect to the things which were practiced through the agency of our body, whether they were good or bad. Now, I am going to uh, actually read that from the uh, the uh, my Bible with the uh, Strong's uh, there, and 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 so here here it is. Okay, uh, wherefore we labor because. Uh, we have this ministry that we've been given and it, we are not going to use our human abilities with it and we're going to only we're just going to be conduits for God to minister through us and he is constantly affirming that that we are only his vessel that everything done through us is him so therefore we're constantly being brought to a place of death uh, to self and our will and while we're constantly being led to the place where we give ourselves without reservation to him. And then from there, uh, you know, he, he he lets us know that he will work through us because he will speak and we speak. And then he does everything he, he does through us because he speaks. We believe that. And then we speak that. That is ministry. That's what he does, whether I'm doing that in prayer and a, and a testimony, a witness to a lost person. I'm loving uh, some law, a backslidden person needs to come home or I am preaching a message or teaching a message or no, or no matter what kind of ministry I'm participating in. And all of us have those ministry, except not all of us are called to lead the body, but every one of us is called to ministry. And, and, and I'm doing all these things uh, because I'm looking at things that are unseen not the things that are seen and i see i see that god is going to give me this place of great glory in him because 
he's bringing me to the end of myself so he can do this work in me and he's going to be glorified. And because he's being glorified here, he's going to give me that glorified body and place in him for eternity. And, uh, and, and, you know, and I see all that. So I'm in a hurry to get out of here. But the Lord says, no, I have a timing. You be at peace here. And when it's time, I'll, I'll fix that. Uh, and so we do all of that. So all of that was said so that the Holy Ghost could say to us or through us, wherefore we labor. And the word labor there in the Greek is not the Greek word for ergon to, to do work, but it is, uh, to, to be fond of honor or to, to be emulous. It means to labor or to strive. To, to be ambitious, make it one's aim. Uh, so it's not just a, it's not just what we do, it's why we're doing it. Where, because, because whether we're, because we're still here, but we want to be ready to go there, uh, we, uh, labor that whether we're present or absent, whether we're still in this natural body or we're in that glorified immortal body, that we may be accepted of him. And the word there, accepted, is, uh, it, the root word is agreeable or fit, pleasing, etc., etc. So it is the extreme of acceptable. It is fully agreeable that he is fully pleased with us. So we want him to do that. And so we start off doing that because of our, our, our love for him and also because we have this ambition ambitious we have this desire to uh, to do what he wants us to do and we want to make it and we want his approval and whatever and we all start there nobody is saved past this point so that's why i'm saying the title of this lesson is the first dimension of a burden or the first motive for being involved in ministry is to save myself because if i'm not doing what God would have me do. I'm not going to be saved. I'm not earning my way to heaven. I'm not, I can't earn my way to heaven by what I do, but I can surely, surely go to hell because of what I don't do. Did you get that? Doing what God tells me to do doesn't save me. It allows him to save me, but I don't earn or deserve salvation by what I do, but I can lose salvation by what I choose to not do. Now, in choosing to not do what God wants me to do, then I'm choosing to do other things that are wrong. But the first step of that displeasing of God is when I uh, consciously or subconsciously choose to not seek Him, to not pursue Him, to not pursue His ways, His thoughts, His His uh, whatever. Uh, you know, I, I don't. I, I choose to not pursue him, and I choose to pursue the world. That's not agreeable to God, and that's what caused me to be lost. So, that's what Paul says here. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Well, I'm saved. I'm not going. I'm not going through. Uh, that's, <laughs> you're kidding. Seriously. Now, for every person who's ever been born again, the rapture of the church is a judgment. It's a judgment. And I'm, I don't want to get off into that because it's a whole other subject to explore. But I don't believe 
that God is going to leave the backslidden, born-again people, the people that have chosen to live by their own will and not his, I don't believe he's going to leave them here when the church is taken. And I believe I have an abundance of scriptures to prove that, even though apparently there's not many that do teach that. I don't believe if you can't live for God with the baptism of the Holy Ghost at this time, I don't believe God's going to leave you here to be saved by having your head cut off. I don't believe that. And I believe not only I know that the saved are going to be judged, but when I read other situations where the saved are judged, I see there's some that are judged not saved. I see that. I believe that. Now, that disturbs some folks because backsliders are counting on living their way until the rapture and then at the rapture suddenly giving themselves to God and being willing to have their head cut off so they don't go to hell. (laughs) How can you be saved when you don't even know God? And... If a backslider's counting on that, they don't know God at all. They don't know God at all. The judgment seat of Christ. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body. According to that, he hath done whether it be good or bad. Now, if we are laboring where the present are absent to be accepted of him, if I've done bad that hasn't been covered by the blood because I didn't repent of it before, am I not going to be judged for all those sins I wouldn't repent of, even though I claim to be saved? Where I live double-minded or I live two-spirited or I live two different lives. I got this life I live for the in the church. I don't go do bad things. No, but you semi-submit to God to do his will when it's time for church and things things of church. But then the rest of your life, you run your own life, do your own will. And you think that's okay with God? No. Well, because we all have the Holy Ghost. We all have a ministry. God didn't give you the Holy Ghost to save you. If God just gave you the Holy Ghost just to save you, you wouldn't have breathed another breath after it was after your salvation was secured by repentance, water baptism in Jesus' name, and receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You would die right then. If all of that was just for the purpose of saving you, you would have died right then. But we don't. Why are we left here? We're not left here so he can we can experience the prosperity doctrine where he can make us rich and increase with goods and have need of nothing and know not that we are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked and need to repent, but don't even know we need to repent. Leaving us here for that. He said to two churches, Ephesus and Laodicea, I'm giving you one last chance here, guys. You're going to listen to me and do what I'm telling you to do or 
Are you going to do your thing? And if you do your thing, I'm done. He bragged on Ephesus all they had done, but there is something if it's lacking. It negates the value of everything else. And what is that? I have somewhat against you, he said to Ephesus. You've left your first love. All of this was supposed to have been about me loving you and you loving me. But you made it all about you and religion and you're so proud of yourselves and how strong you are and the truth and how much you don't let people claim to have ministries that they really don't have and you expose them. But everything that you do, you do it for you. You don't do it because I love you and because you love me in return. So I'm about to remove your candlestick if you don't uh, repent and do your first works. What? I thought he was talking about love. He said, I have somewhat against you. You've left your first love. And he said for me to repent. He didn't say, notice he didn't say repent and love me again. No. He said repent and do your first works. Why? Because if I love God, I will keep his commandments. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And so what is his second commandment? Second commandment is to love our neighbors as ourselves. And that's not talking about just feeding somebody. That's important. Just clothing somebody. That's important. That's not talking about just being nice to people, be a friend, be there to be helpful. That's not what that's... That's just a part of it. That's not really what he's talking about. What he's talking about in loving your neighbor as yourself is I love me enough to let God love me so that I can love him in return and be saved. Now, you loved yourself that much. Now, love others that much that they might be loved by God, know they're loved by God and believe they're loved by God and give themselves to God so that they can love God in return and be saved. And if I'm not doing that, I am not obeying the second commandment. I'm not. So, as I've said many times, as the Holy Ghost has said many times, you can be the first one to ever service and the last one to leave. You can have the key to open everything up and check the thermostats, and you can make sure there's no... Uh, trash that the cleaners left around. You make sure everything's perfect. You'd be the first one there. You'd be the last guy to leave, patiently waiting for the pastor to talk to this one, that, and the other, so that he can leave, and you're going to, you've taken on yourself to be the one that locks everything up, <coughs> set the thermostats back, and, and make sure everything's picked up off the floor and, and whatever. You can be that person and never miss a service. You can be the person that pays tithes so meticulously as the Pharisees did that Jesus talked about them paying tithes of mint, anise, and cumin, which were seasonings for food. They weren't even the foods, just the seasoning for food. And he said, but you have omitted the old weightier matters of the law. And he said, this ought you have done. You should have paid tithes like that. But you shouldn't have left the other undone. So you're rejected. Yeah. 
here we are. How can we, can we go to church faithfully and pay our tithes faithfully? Maybe you're one of those that you don't ever question the pastor. If he says it, that's exactly the truth as if God himself said every word of it, whether he's in the pulpit or out of it. And then finally, you are the one who is the extreme of separation. You, 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 everybody else's separation looks worldly compared to yours. And you can do all of that and be lost because if that's the expression of your love for God, his love for you, and of your, him loving your neighbors through you, you're disobedient to the commands. Well, I thought going to church is a command. It is. I thought paying your tithes is a command. It is. I thought obeying the elders is a command. It is. I thought uh, being separated is uh, the word of God. It is. But as Ephesus found out, doing those things without doing without all of the motive behind, the power behind all of it being the love of God, it's not good enough. Not good enough. But we all start there. We all start there. That's why, right or wrong, good or bad, we say to our children now, be good, and I'll I'll do this or that or the other. They're not being good because it's the right thing to do. They're being good because of what they expect to get out of it. Every person coming to God in the beginning, to varying degrees, they're coming because of what they can get. They're not coming to go to heaven. They're coming to not go to hell. That's why they don't come to God out of uh, love. They come to God out of fear. His love brings them, but it's not his, their love for him that causes them to come. They don't know him. It's, it's his, their fear of God that causes them to come to God. Now, you can't stay there. You've got to grow through that, past that. But that's that first dimension of a burden. And this is exactly what Paul said. Wherefore, we labor. Because all this is temporary. We labor. Because our, our desire is, whether not dead or alive, we want to be accepted of God. That means he approves us to the point <coughs> that he welcomes us into his eternal kingdom. And Paul then states it really clearly. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, receive the consequences of the things we do bodily. According to that, he hath done whether it be good or bad. Now, bottom line here, <laughs> I will not consistently continue to live in that state. I start out in that state, but if I stay there and it's all about me and my salvation, I'll eventually get very weary of being involved with the lost for any motive. And I get older and it's now the younger people's chance, uh, responsibility to do that. I've done my part. Some of you have said that exact thing. I've done my part. It's okay for me now just to come to church, pay my tithes, obey the pastor and be separated because I've done my part. It's their turn now. Really? Yeah. 
That's in the Bible. What chapter and verse was that? What chapter and verse is that? Again, we all come with that attitude. We all come to varying degrees. Every one of us is different, but we all come in that first dimension. We get involved in the things of God, whatever, because of fear. We want to be saved, and we're afraid that if we don't do these things, we're going to be lost. And if you died in that this dimension and you weren't doing those things, you would be lost because there's no other way to prove. Okay, I can receive the Holy Ghost to speak in tongues. I've received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Wonderful. Next, that's the beginning. That's not the end. That's the beginning. I can't be saved at the spiritual place that I got saved at. That place that I was at those first 24 hours after I was saved, I can't be saved at that same place 10 years later. Now, if I died in those first 24 hours, I'd be saved. But I can't be saved today at that place. And what is the major difference? Somewhere along the line, I've got to outgrow in God this thing is I'm only in this to save myself. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to knock on your door and invite you to church, but ultimately my motive for doing that is I want to save myself. I'm going to pray in the altar, but ultimately the purpose of me praying in the altar is so I can be reassured again of how real this is so I can be saved myself because if I'm doing bad things with this body, and it is the word body. It's the same word that's used in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto him, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, proving what is that good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. That same body. I'm supposed to present my body as a living sacrifice because that's the first dimension of my relationship with God. It's my first dimension of my involvement in the things of God. I, I, came, I came to God to get saved. I get involved to be saved. Whatever the Lord tells me to be involved in, whether he tells me directly or through my leadership, my oversight, I'm going to give myself to that because I want to be saved. That's the first dimension of a burden. And I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that both you and I are doing the minimum, those things, being involved with the lost, uh, you know, being a greeter and smiling, being a hostess and getting names of people coming in or in the altar. And I, I got to be involved with the lost, going to a, a small group, whatever you guys call your small groups, and being involved with people there. Because in a small group, I, in church I can sit. People don't realize how uninvolved I am. But in a small group, I can't be uninvolved. That's why small groups are so important. And because I have to be involved if I'm in a small group. Plus, the small group leaders, if I'm not the leader, is going to be depending on me. And when new people come, if I don't shake their hand, it becomes obvious to God and everybody. So I, I, I don't avoid situations that's going to expose where I am and where I'm not. Because I'm not going to grow past that till I see how unsatisfying that eventually becomes if I stay there. And I can't be saved otherwise. 
So I've got to be involved to be saved. You're going to be involved to be saved. And if I'm not involved, because this body is now his, he bought it with a price. And if I'm not allowing him to use this body to do good, and I'm taking this body that he bought with a price, and I'm doing wrong things with it, things he's not pleased with, can I honestly, and don't repent for them, can I honestly believe that he is going to save me and take me to heaven with that attitude and spirit? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that you and I would receive this word in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. God bless you. Thank you.